This morning we're reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Doria, and I plead with Cynthia to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help those women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Well, we're living in a very uncertain world at the moment. And it almost seems like just one thing comes after another. This year we've seen flooding in many cities, extreme temperatures, devastating earthquakes, continuation of existing wars, and now war in Israel and Palestine. We've seen rising prices, cost of living fears, job uncertainty. Some of us have had health scares or family problems. Do you know, we might feel as though there's never been a time as bad as this. We're filled with fear and anxiety. And even in the church, we're facing uncertainty with presbytery planning, fears over buildings, congregations having to change, lots of uncertainty. Now, some of these fears and uncertainties are greater than others. And we do need to keep a sense of perspective as to how bad things really are. But living in this uncertain world and living with fear and anxiety does cause us problems, and we might wonder where to turn. Well, the passage from Philippians helps us to consider the question of how do we, as Christians, stand firm in this uncertain world? Now, I think what helps us to stand firm is the condition of our hearts. And this passage has a few things to say about the condition of our hearts. Now, the Philippian church had undergone persecution and hardship. They had experienced many of the same struggles that Paul, who was writing the letter, had also. Now, throughout the letter, if you read the whole letter, it's not a very big letter, Paul gives hints that all was not well at Philippi. They had their share of selfishness, self-interest, conceit, pride, and disagreements. And Paul was concerned 
that some Jewish Christian missionaries either were there or were about to arrive. And they were going to cause problems similar to what they had in Galatia. And he refers to these who preach Christ out of self-serving motives and warns about them. These people were bringing a message announcing the superiority of their inherited privileges as Jews. And Paul did not like that. But the question of this standing firm and unity was a really important one for the Philippian church. And Paul looks at this in this chapter. So we're going to look at the condition of our heart. And as we go through it, the question is, how is your heart today? So first, there was, he had a heart for harmony. The unity of the church was under threat with the disagreement between the two women. Now, if you've been in church or in any group for any length of time, you will surely have come across a disagreement or two. In any walk of life, there are disagreements. And you've probably been involved yourself in some disagreements over the years. And disagreements can, unfortunately, happen. But the important thing is not to let them escalate. Don't let them get out of control. Don't let them cause major disruption. Well, in the church at Philippi, that's what was happening. The disagreement between these two women was beginning to get out of hand. It was starting to cause major problems in the church. And the rest of the people were going to take sides. We're not told what the disagreement was about, but the way in which Paul addresses them shows that it was indeed a major problem. He named the two women in a letter that was going to be read openly in front of everybody. Now that's very significant and shows just how much it was becoming a problem and how prominent these women were in the church. We don't tend to name people nowadays from the pulpit who are causing problems or having disagreements. Maybe we should, that would be interesting. But Paul does just that. They held important positions in the church. Therefore, they had a greater potential to put the whole harmony of the church at risk. Now, Paul addresses them equally. And this kind of even-handedness is very important when dealing with these situations. Paul isn't taking sides. He also asks for help from a third party, a respected person that he knew and that would come in, talk with both sides and find a way ahead. But he's pleading with them to overcome their dispute and to be of the same mind in the Lord. And that phrase, in the Lord, is quite important, and we come back to that again in the next section. The common mind they are to shared in reconciliation and mutual love. That is one that sets the good of the church above your own personal interest. They are to become united again in the work of the gospel. Now, this unity, Paul has been urging the Philippians to show this throughout the letter. And in a more general way. But here, he's speaking, uh, speaking about a very specific incident, a very specific circumstance. So by doing this, Paul shows that the concept of Christian unity 
isn't just, you know, an airy-fairy idea that's, yeah, it's quite nice. It would be really nice if we were all united and we didn't have any disagreements. This unity has to be worked out one quarrel at a time. Whenever we come up against something in the church or even in a group or just as Christians, we have to deal with them as they come up. Paul very much had this heart for harmony and that's something that we need to develop in ourselves. We are to achieve this Christian unity worked out in our disagreements and quarrels to put aside our differences for the good of the gospel and in order to further spread God's kingdom. And that is something we will need over the coming months and years as we try and bring four churches together. As Kirsten already said, there are bound to be disagreements. But we have to put the good of the gospel first. God needs to be in the centre of all these discussions. We have the mind of the Lord a heart for harmony. And then we have a heart for rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now that's not just an empty phrase from Paul. He doesn't just say these things. But it's a call for people who were in doubt. They were in fear. They were in the midst of a hostile world. But this assurance was given and repeated. Now Paul knows himself many struggles. He speaks from a place of hardship, from a prison cell. And he speaks to a people who have known hardships. And we read it today as a people who know hardships, who know troubles, who have uncertainty. Now, the important word isn't rejoice, but it is in the Lord. That's that phrase again, came up in the first bit of the same mind in the Lord. Now we are to rejoice in the Lord. It's this faith in the Lord that makes rejoicing possible, both in the good times and in the bad times. And you know, it's not just an encouragement from Paul, oh, to be joyful, oh, everything's fine, we're going to forget about things. It's not that. It's asking the churches who are in distress to call upon their faith, to stand firm in their faith, to be joyful in the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't just tell the Philippians, or us as we read it, go away and be joyful. And he leaves it at that. He doesn't do that. He goes on to illustrate how we can achieve this heart for rejoicing, how we can have this joyfulness. He calls on them first to let their gentleness be evident to all. Now, this term gentleness was used of an attitude of kindness where the normal response would be retaliation. We'd be getting back at people. That's not what we are to have. We're to have this gentleness. And it certainly relates to the unity. But it also shows there's no limit to this rejoicing or gentleness. Believers are to rejoice always and to be gentle to everyone not just those people you agree with, but absolutely everyone. And this is the attitude that is required from all believers. To rejoice in the good and the bad times, to have a reputation for gentleness and not a reputation for vengeful retaliation. Now, part of this being able to rejoice always 
is that we're not anxious about everything. For you know yourself, if you've got anxious all, if you're anxious all the time, if you're worrying all the time, it's difficult to be joyful. So we're asked that we bring all our worries, absolutely everything that concerns us to God in prayer. Sometimes I think we can forget that. We can be too busy thinking about the moment. We're caught up in worrying about what's happening in our lives or in the lives of our families. And then we're watching the news about war and destruction. And we wonder what's happening in the world. Do you know, but God, your Father, wants you to bring these things to him in prayer. He's ready to hear our prayers. Both about the big things like war, famine, worry, but also the little things that worry us. He's listening to them all. And the only way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. So the only way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. So bring it all to God with thanksgiving. And then the result of this praying is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Why would we not want that? So what stops us from bringing our prayers to God? Well, nothing really. We can do so. He's asked us to. We just need to talk. We don't need big fancy words. We can just talk to God about everything and then receive the peace of God. Now this phrase, peace of God, isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament. And Paul is not referring here to peace with God, for that comes when you have faith in Jesus and you take that first step to believing. And he isn't really talking about this inner peace coming from God. He's talking here about something slightly different. Peace of God. The tranquility of God's eternal being, the peace that God himself has, the serenity. We can't fully understand it. Maybe we shouldn't even try. Maybe it's a gift and we just accept it. But we can have it when we have brought all our worries to God in prayer. Not just the worries or the prayers that we think we should be praying, but absolutely everything that worries us. And this peace of God will guard our hearts. Now, Paul uses this military metaphor when he writes to the Philippians because they would have been very familiar. They were a garrison town. They had Romans in their town. And God's peace, like the garrison of soldiers, would keep guard over our thoughts and feelings, just like the Roman sentry kept watch for the garrison. God's peace is like that. It will guard our thoughts and feelings and they will keep us safe when the worry and the fear starts to assault us, starts to get in. We've got that. The peace of God will protect us. So through this prayer and bringing our worries to God, through our thanksgiving, having the peace of God guarding us, we can know how to have a heart for rejoicing in all circumstances. And then lastly, we have a heart for godliness. Paul now turns to give a list of virtues that the Philippians were to hold in their hearts and they were to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So to keep our heart right, to keep walking in godliness, to have a heart for godliness, we do need to be careful about what we think about or what we get involved with. Are what we are doing, what we are watching, what we are thinking about, are these things excellent and praiseworthy? If they're not, then maybe we shouldn't be involved with them. So we're to evaluate and carefully consider things for the purpose of letting good things guide us into good deeds and practices. Now, Paul encourages the Philippians to look for these things everywhere, out there in the wider world, and that even though society can seem hostile and evil, it's still part of God's world and contains much good that we can agree with. And then having given this list, Paul goes on to say that the Philippians must practice the distinctively Christian ethic that they find in his teaching and his conduct. They learned from Paul's example. They received from his teaching. They heard him preach. And they saw how he conducted himself. So they are to follow that pattern of behavior. And we as Christians are still to try and do this. We have the word of God against which all things are to be measured. But we do need to read it or we won't know what's in it. And we don't need to live only in our little cloistered world. That's not what God wants of us. We are to be out there in the world living our godly life. And we can look for and we can find whatever is true, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy wherever it occurs. Paul lived in the world. He was aware of what was happening around him. When he visited a new city, he explored it and he found what was good in it. He always had this heart for godliness and that can be seen in his teaching and in his life. So how do we stand firm as Christians in this uncertain and ever-changing world? We develop a heart for harmony with everyone around us, seeking out unity, avoiding disagreements, and helping others when there are disagreements and disputes. We are to develop a heart for prayer, bringing all our concerns, all our worries, everything to God in prayer, with thanksgiving and rejoicing as we do so and to develop a heart for godliness by ensuring we live a life filled with things that are noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, and that what we believe and what we do in our lives are the same. How is your heart today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and ask that you're through your spirit, you would help us to develop a heart for harmony. That if we are in dispute with someone, you would help us to resolve it. That you would help us, Lord, to help others to live in harmony together. That we could develop this heart for prayer. Help us, Lord, to remember that there is nothing too big or too small that we cannot bring to you in prayer and that we have a heart for godliness. So you help us, Lord, 
each and every day to be filled with the right things, the pure things and the lovely things, that we may follow you more closely each and every day, that we may stand firm as Christians in this very uncertain world. And if our hearts are not right in these areas, Lord, that you would help us search them and that you would guide us in the right way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.